Good evening, everybody. Welcome. Uh, before we get started tonight, join me in welcoming Joe. He's going to tell us a joke. Joe. How we doing? Uh, I am Joe, and I am your honorary joke teller. Thank you. Hello. Honored to be here. Okay. Uh, here we go. An Englishman... An Irishman, a Scotsman, a German, an Italian, a Swede, two Finns, a Norwegian, a Greenlander, a Lithuanian, an Estonian, a Palestinian, a Turk, an Egyptian, a Macedonian, a Moldovian, a Chinese guy, a Japanese guy, a Laotian, a Cambodian, a North Korean, a South Korean, an American, a Mexican, a Canadian, a Brazilian, an Australian, a New Zealander, a Libyan and a Spaniard walk into a fancy cocktail bar. The bouncer says, sorry, lads, you can't come in without a tie. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Welcome to the Fort Lauderdale Primary Purpose Big Book Study Group's Thursday Night Alcoholics and God Speaker Step Series. Uh, well, that was what I was supposed to say before. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Chris. Uh, thanks for joining us tonight. In a minute, we're going to start our two-minute meditation, so please take a moment to get situated. Please turn off all devices that make noise or that might or will distract others. Let's take this time to get connected to God. Let the craziness of the day drift away, asking God to help us stay focused on the Step Study tonight. Is everybody ready? Okay. Be mm-hmm. 
Please join me in the fog light prayer. It's up there. God. There is a solution from the big book, page 17. The tremendous fact for every one of us is that we have discovered a common solution. We have a way out on which we can absolutely agree and upon which we can join in brotherly and harmonious action. This is the great news this book carries to those who suffer from alcoholism. I've asked Andrew J. to read Appendix 2, Spiritual Experience. We read this because the main purpose of the 12 steps is to have a spiritual experience, so it's kind of important to know what one is. Join me in welcoming Andrew J. everyone. I'm a recovered alcoholic named Andrew. This is spiritual experience. Terms spiritual experience and spiritual awakening are used many times in this book, which, upon careful reading, shows that the personality change sufficient to bring about recovery from alcoholism has manifested itself among us in many different forms. Yet it is true that in our first printing gave many readers the impression that these personality changes or religious experiences must be in the nature of a sudden and spectacular upheavals. Happily for everyone, this conclusion is erroneous. In the first few chapters, a a number of sudden revolutionary changes are described. It was not our intention to create such an impression. Many alcoholics have nevertheless concluded that in order to recover, they must acquire an immediate and overwhelming God consciousness, followed at once by a vast change in feeling and outlook. Among our rapidly growing membership of thousands of alcoholics, such transformations, though frequent, are by no means the rule. Most of our experiences are what the psychologist William James calls the educational variety because they develop slowly over a period of time. Quite often, friends of the newcomer are aware of the difference long before he is himself. He finally realizes that he has undergone a profound alteration in his reaction to life, that such a change could hardly have been brought about by himself alone. What often takes place in a few months could seldom have been accomplished by years of self-discipline. With few exceptions, our members find that they have tapped an unsuspected inner resource which they presently identify with their own conception of a power greater than themselves. Most of us think this awareness of a power greater than ourselves is the essence of spiritual experience. Our more religious members call it God consciousness. Most empathetically, we wish to say that any alcoholic capable of honestly facing his problems in the light of our experience can recover, provided he does not close his mind to all spiritual concepts. He can only be defeated by an attitude of intolerance or belligerent denial. We find that no one need have difficulty with the spirituality of the program. Willingness, honesty, and open-mindedness are the essentials of recovery, but these are indispensable. There is a principle which is a bar against all information, which is proof against all arguments, and which cannot fail to keep a man in everlasting ignorance. That principle is contempt prior to investigation. Herbert Spencer from Alcoholics Anonymous, pages 567 and 568. Please refrain from disturbing others by talking or constantly getting up and sitting back down. This is a tech-free meeting, so set your phones to airplane meeting mode or just turn them off. Uh, Now is the time when I get to introduce the speaker. The speaker is Pat. He's an amazing uh, 
servant of AA and a, and a great person, and really there's not a whole lot I'm going to be able to say that's going to add to what he's going to do here tonight, so I'll just get out of the way and introduce Pat. Hi, everybody. I'm a recovered alcoholic. My name is Pat Rogan. Thanks to the 12 Steps of Alcoholics Anonymous outlined in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, which is the program of AA, uh, I have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body, and for that, I will be forever grateful. Uh, AA didn't just save my life, but it gave me a new life, and uh, absolutely enjoy my new life uh, for the most part. <laughs> if nothing else, they've given me a life that uh, I can live without any mind or mood-altering substances, <laughs> which is the miracle. It is the miracle. And... Uh, you know, I, uh, before I get into this, I, I want to tell you a little story. That uh, I was at a, uh, another fellowship's retreat this weekend, CA retreat. I could say CA, right? I'm not allowed to say addict, but you could say CA, right? It always bothered me that they changed the name on Dr. Addict Alcoholic, except this is the answer. Yeah. The story's the same. You know, the guy's still an IV user, you know, but... We're not allowed to call him an addict. It has to be uh, an alcoholic. But I was at this retreat, and I heard this speaker. And this is why I'm so uh, I'm so attached to this fellowship and and both both powers in this in this program, the fellowship and the the program of action. And, and there was a a lady there, uh, young lady speaking that I've known for quite a while. Uh, and she spoke to something that really touched my heart. And it, I I just. I love being around you guys. I, I love listening to the stories. I love listening to, to speakers. I still, I'm still a speaker chaser, and I've been around a few decades, and uh, I'm just forever the student, you know what I mean? I'm just forever learning in this program. And, and Sam was telling a story about losing her father and, uh, and not feeling anything, you know, and, and feeling the guilt about not feeling emotion over the loss of her father and god that touched me you know because i've my whole life has been like that i mean i i haven't been to a couple of funerals from people very close to me years ago uh because i was just in i was just physically incapable of making it there because i was in my addiction and uh and and when you can medicate why go it was a great excuse to to not go but in recovery i've lost my sister i lost my grandmother and uh, and damn near lost, gave my mother last rites twice, uh, and she's still alive. And in none of those situations uh, did I feel like or want to cry. And she had me thinking about that, like, and and what is that? I mean, what? Why is it that uh, I actually felt like they were getting the best part of the deal? Do you know what I mean? Like, I actually felt like they were, the, the fight's over for them. The struggle is over. I still have to face the struggle. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and it speaks to what we were talking about in the first step, like this inability to stay stopped, right? The, the doctor called it restless, irritable, and discontent. Uh, uh, Mark Houston, which I'll talk about later, all used to call it this internal condition. You know, this, uh, this torment, if you will, I like to describe it as... Uh, you know, this torment that exists within me that is, is the fight. It is the battle and, and is the reason why I was incapable of staying stopped because I just couldn't stand it for one more freaking second, you know. And, and when my mother was just hysterical 
over my sister's death, which was tragic. A young woman with two kids, an overdose. And, and uh, I was looking at her and going, Mom, she's free. You know, the fight is over for her. You know, she's at peace. She's going somewhere where there is no fight, there is no battle, there is no more torment, you know. And there was part of me that's kind of jealous because my struggle has been life. I don't know, is there anybody here that's never been afraid of death? I've never been afraid of death, you know. I welcomed it in my addiction quite a few times. And uh, I'll tell you this, that story to tell you this, that... that uh, this week has just flown by. I, you know, I was at the retreat Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Monday, I prepped for a test, which you can imagine what test you have to prep for for a day. Uh, t- Tuesday, I had the test. You know, Wednesday, I did a big book study. And Thursday, I'm here. It's like, you know, like I feel like I was here yesterday, you know. But uh, I, that girl touched me so much, and that whole uh, emotional roller coaster that I was on for a couple of days touched me and I looked at my wife yesterday and I said you know when I cried do you remember when I cried and she said yeah I lost my dog when my dog got hit by a car I was hysterical but I didn't shed a tear for my great grandmother my grandmother my sister my mother almost passing away twice speaks to the what's you know, I don't know what that speaks to <laughs> you know what is it that, uh, that I'm afraid to show that emotion you know or incapable of showing that emotion what's taken place uh, in my childhood or in my life that has uh, has caused me to just suppress that you know just just, just bury that you know uh, and, and I really looked at that as why I medicated, why I couldn't stay stopped. And, you know, and we've been talking a lot about that, you know, what it means to be powerless, what, what the first step actually is, you know, this inability to stay stopped and this inability to control it once we start, you know. And it's, uh, you know, so, so the physical being irrelevant if I never pick up the first drink. I mean, that is, by the way, what separates us, right? That's, that's the gift that Silkworth gave us. That was the gift. Everybody else knew we were crazy, Right. I mean, everybody really, they're crazy or they're weak-willed or they're just morally bankrupt. They're just, they knew mentally there was something wrong with us. They just didn't understand why once we started we were off to the races, that we couldn't control it like other people. Weak-willed, they're weak-willed, right? They're just incapable of saying no, you know. And, and, but with the doctor, the gift he gave us was this physical factor, this, this chemical factor, that we are chemically different than, than other people. That, that when we put a drink or a drug in our system, we, we respond different chemically, brain chemistry, uh, is different, and that's what creates this physical compulsion to go on the run. And uh, so, so knowing that and, and getting that information from Silkworth, the, the the reason is okay. Knowing that, why can't we stay stopped? You know, why is it we can't stay stopped? And there's something internal going on with the alcoholic and the addict that can, prevents them from staying stopped. And Silkworth touches on it: restless, cerebral, and discontent. You know, uh, emotional condition, some torment that's going on within the alcoholic and the addict. You know, some internal dialogue that is convincing me that I can't live without a drink. And then I get that now. You know, I, I, get, I get why I couldn't stay stopped. So, so the main problem with the alcoholic addicts centers in their mind, right? So something has to change on the mind side. And, and I'm incapable of changing that. I, I, I mean, that, 
William James says that, you know, there's no requirement for membership in Alcoholics Anonymous, but William James talks about there's two requirements for a spiritual experience. There's two requirements for recovery from alcoholism and drug addiction in the program, and one of them is facing an insurmountable obstacle, right? We've got to be facing defeat. We've got to be facing defeat, and we have to admit defeat. Two requirements, right? The first step, face defeat and admit defeat, and then appeal to a higher power for a solution, you know, to appeal to some deity for a solution, something other than human power. Our book is pretty clear that no human power is going to solve our problem, right? I, you know, I didn't talk much about uh, chapter four, but I think chapter four of Reagnostics, to me, uh, especially early in my recovery, was one of the, the best, probably the most fascinating and the most inform, you know, in, informative uh, spiritual information I ever read. You know, most uh, writers who write spiritual works write over my head. I can't, I, you know, I, I get partway through it and don't know what I just read. Bill dummied it down so that a guy like me could get it, you know, could get it. And open up the door for all of us to seek this power greater than human power. But that's a requirement. The first two steps are a requirement. They, they tell us that four times in the first, chap- the first paragraph in chapter four. They, they ask us the two questions again. When you honestly want to say stop, you find you can't. And once you start, you find you can't control it. And it says, then you're probably alcoholic. Probably only because we're not allowed to say you are. I'm only allowed to say I am. But if you can't stay stopped and you can't control it once you start, join the club. Have a seat. Have a seat. Yeah. And I'll even give you like one or two DUIs. You know what I mean? Like, you know, I'll give you one, okay, you were stupid. Two, all right, bad luck. You know? Three, have a freaking seat. You know? You know, I'll give you one or two marriages maybe. You know? Let me tell you something. If you're on your third marriage like me, it's not them. You know? If you're on like your fourth or fifth job, it's not them. If you're in your fourth halfway house, it's not the halfway houses. You know what I mean? You're a third treatment center, not them. Time to look in the mirror. Facing defeat, admitting defeat, knowing that there's nothing I have, that, that no amount of willpower from me is going to keep me stopped. I proved that, right? We're going to hear it once again at the end of how it works, right? Being convinced. You're going to ask us for the fifth time. Being convinced. We have to be convinced of those first two proposals. Two conclusions. That's where I stop when I'm sponsoring somebody. When we get to that, being convinced, Bill said in the original manuscript, being sold. Being sold on the three pertinent ideas. Right? We're alcoholic, cannot manage our own lives, no human power could solve our problem, and God could and would if he were sought. It's a requirement to recover from alcoholism and drug addiction in the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And if you're not convinced, that's where we stop. If you're not convinced, why are we moving on? Why are we going to do an inventory and confession and restitution and repentance? And, you know, why are we going to move on if you're not convinced of that? Go get convinced. Yeah. Get convinced. Try, and not, I don't know, I'm not one of them guys that suggests that you go on another spree. You know? Go try to stop on your own. You looking up my nose again? That's what I was told. <laughs> yeah. Get convinced. 
Try it on your own. Our book suggests that. Now, you know, I don't suggest that you go try to control your crack smoking, you know, <laughs> or your IV use, you know. I mean, when it comes to drug addicts, it's a little different story, right? I mean, you know, I'm not that guy that says go out and go on, and, and I'm not that guy. I've, I've seen people go out and do it and die. You know, I'm not, I'm not asking you to. But go try to stop on your own, you know. If you have another solution, our hats are off to you. I love in, uh, and what the, the chapter, we agnostics, is not just dealing with the agnostic. The, the, the chapter of the agnostic speaks to the atheist, the agnostic, and the believer. All three of them. You know, the atheist, the one who can prove the non-existence of God. You know, the agnostic, which is like me, ignorant. That's what it really means, right? Without knowledge, right? Like, yeah, maybe there's a God out there. I don't know who he is or who she is or who it is. I don't know anything about all that. But there's a part of me that kind of knows that it knows that it knows. But, you know, but, but I don't know what it is or how it is. And by the way, that's no fun on that side of the island. I'm going to stay on my side of the island. And, you know, and so I just disconnected from it, you know. I had no knowledge of it, right? And that's what agnostic means, without knowledge, you know. That's what the word means. But they speak... To the believer, on the first page, bottom of the first page, we agnostics, if a, better, if a mere code of morals or a better philosophy on life were sufficient, many of us would have recovered long ago. Right? There's ta- they're, they're a shout out to the believer that maybe, maybe you are a believer. Maybe you believe in whatever religion you are. Maybe you believe in Jesus Christ or Muhammad or, or Buddha, whatever you're believing in. Maybe you have this devout religious belief. If that was enough, you wouldn't be here. Right? That's how I know it's not enough for you, because you're here. Right? Because if it was enough, you'd be there. Right? So it's more than that. Right? We're speaking to an illness now. We're not speaking to a moral issue or an issue of willpower. We're speaking about an illness. I was relieved. I think I said it last week or the week before. I was relieved to find out I was sick and not crazy. Because I thought, sure as shit, I was crazy when I got here. Because who gives up kids? Who gives up custody of their son? Who gives up their freedom? Who lets their career go? Who gives up two marriages? Because nobody tells me what to do. I'm a grown-ass man. You know? You know what, are you, what are you, my mother? You know? I mean, I'd say shit like that. You know? yeah. Who the hell does he think he is, freaking judge? You know? <laughs> Sitting up there with a robe on and shit. All high and mighty. Thinks he knows me. Arrogance, man. Arrogance. But, the, you know, I think it just this chapter just unlocked so much for me uh, to allow me to walk through the door. My oh, man. <laughs> What's up? Good to see you. It just opened up so, it just opened up the door wide enough for somebody like me to walk through, you know. And, and, and the miracle was choosing my own conception of God. You know, and the miracle took place with Abby across the table from Bill out of frustration. Why don't you choose your own conception of God? You know? And I could choose a God of mercy and a God of love and a God of forgiveness. You know? A God of my misunderstanding. You know? But it goes further than that. You know? And, and, and to, the, to the atheist, it's asking the atheist to go from no to maybe. Why would you go from no to maybe? Or why would I go from, I don't have any knowledge, okay, I'm going to choose this. Because my freaking life depends on it. Because it's life and death, and I think we forget that, right? We kind of get get nonchalant about recovery, right? Well, the treatment center brought me here. My mother and father, my parents made me come. 
You know, I have play houses. They made me come. You know, I get that. But the reality is, this is life and death for the real alcoholic and addict. Right? The one who's willing to trade everything to continue to get high. Right? So I, I think I read the paragraph last week. I was telling Todd, I never can remember what I did last week. and what I, Unfortunately, I don't think you can either. So that, that's good news. <laughs> you, you know. But I love that paragraph that we assume the reader wants to stop. Right? We assume the re- we assume that you're here because you want to stop. I'm going to assume that. I'm going to assume that everybody that has stood up and picked up a white chip or a key tag wants to stop. I'm going to assume. I'm going to make that assumption. I might be wrong, but my job isn't to, to judge that. My job is to, to assume that, that you want to stop. And if that be the case, then this is life and death. And this is the last house on the block. You've tried everything else. That's why you're here. Because if I could do this at St. Elizabeth Ann Seat and not at Coral Springs, the church that I go to, I would be there. It's a lot easier to talk about. You know what I mean? My mother can brag about it. You know, I spoke at the international convention one year at the CA, uh, and, and I told my mother, I spoke at the, I'm getting to speak at the international CA convention. And she went, that's nice. <laughs> <laughs> She can't tell anybody about that. Right? <laughs> My son's speaking at the CA International. You know? They grab their purses. You know? <laughs> Is he coming over now? <laughs> <Just> <laughs> but if I was a member of some church somewhere, she'd be bragging about that. Right? Oh, Eucharistic minister, so-and-so. Usher. He's an usher. St. Elizabeth, right? <laughs> I mean, my mother's proud of me. My mother loves the fact that I'm in recovery, but she don't talk about it much. <laughs> Too funny, huh? My mother was uh, an addictions counselor at Fair Oaks, if anybody remembers Fair Oaks. And all three out of her four kids are addicts. <laughs> God has a sense of humor, don't he? <laughs> and she couldn't save any of us. She couldn't save any of us. Two of us got sober in this program. And the other one, like I said, passed away from an overdose. You know. so, so the second step is right there, you know, just to be willing to believe, just to go from no to maybe. And why would I do that? Because my life depends on it. Because I don't have any other choice because I've run out of options. And what do I got to lose? Right. So there's no belief requirement here. Just be willing to believe. Maybe. Maybe there's a God for lack of a better term. That's what this program, that's exactly what this program is about. It's about finding a power that's going to solve our problem. I like when we we read uh, the preamble, it says solve our problems. That's not what it says. There's no S on the end of problems. It says solve our problem, our addiction problem. Not going to solve our marriage problems. Not going to solve our financial problems. It's going to solve our problem. And our problem is the inability to stay stopped. Well, that's exactly what this book is about. Right? There's, there's the language of the big book. Precisely, specifically, clear-cut directions. Exactly. You know, what we have, you're going to have to do what we do. You know? and, and I love what Bill does uh, in this chapter Pointing out that I have been living on 
faith or belief, if you will, my whole life on things that I can't see. Right? He talks about the, the, the steel girder, right? He talks about the, the steel girder, the prosaic steel girder with molecules whirling around, right? And we, and we, all, we all listen to science. We all get that, right? That this table was solid, and this is air, and this is liquid, right? Distinctly different, right? But then some German guy comes up with this tele- uh, microscope, and he's able to see a little deeper into this table, and he goes, wait a minute. There are molecules in there, a bunch of molecules in there. And between those molecules, there's space. Matter of fact, there's molecules here, too, and there's molecules here, too, whirling around, creating the solid, the liquid, and the air. And we go, cool. Got it. Right? Never question it. Never ask to see the molecule. You know? Then he creates a more powerful microscope and says, wait a minute. There's a molecule, but there's atoms. This molecule is mad up to these atoms. And in the middle of these atoms, there's these positively charged protons and these negatively charged neutrons, but these, electrically, these negatively charged electrons whirling them around there. And that's what's holding everything together. You know, cool. <laughs> Got it. Fact. Fact. Right? Never question it. Never question it. Shit, I got that. Damn, I, I'm fascinated still to this day on how they can put a camera on somebody across the world, shoot it to a damn satellite, shoot it to another tower, shoot it to my house, and it come out on my TV. Like almost live. Like, like maybe there's a second or a fraction of a second delay. There. That's just incredible to me. But I don't ask how that shit works before I get the remote and turn that TV on. Like, I, I don't have any... I want to see how that... I want proof of how that worked before I'm going to turn this damn TV on. Right? We use light switches all the time. Half of it, most of us don't know what makes electrical current go through that wire. How that all works. I mean, we... We know if we touch it, we get shocked. But I never have asked anybody how electricity works. Never. Well, I'm not touching that shit. You want me to turn that on, a light's going to come on. Yeah. No, you've got to prove that to me. I'm, I'm not going there. I've got to see it. Show me. Show me proof. But our actual lives depend on just being willing to believe and a power greater than ourselves, and some kind of deity, and we go, hold on a second. No, no. No, no. Show me. What's Bill call it? That perverse streak comes out in us going, no, you're going to prove that shit. I'm not going there. You don't have to believe. You just have to be willing to believe. Right? The formula is in that chapter, right? The formula for recovery that's been around for centuries is in that recovery. I think it, it's just brilliant how, how Bill has just like stolen all this spiritual literature from all over the, the world and brought it to a place where alcoholics could listen to it and believe in it and, 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 and use it and get sober. Yeah. All we have to do is be willing to believe. Make a decision. Take some action. And we'll get some results. That will equal faith. That's what Bill's telling us. Just believe that I believe. 
He'll, he goes as far in the 12 and 12 and says, use this group of drunks as your higher power for not. Believe that they believe. We've got 2.2 million people worldwide that have recovered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. Isn't that proof enough? Isn't that enough to say, okay, I'm willing, a little over a million in the United States, right? Isn't that, isn't that a proof enough for you to say, okay, I'm willing to believe? Being as my life depends on it, you know, being as I'm going to die, if I go on to a spiritual, uh, uh, an alcoholic death or accept spiritual help, door number one or door number two, being as that's my choices, and there is no door number three because I asked, you know, is there another option? <laughs> Die or accept spiritual help. That's the requirement. If you're not convinced that you're going to die, if you don't accept spiritual help, you're not going to get what this program promises. Why else would you do this unless it was life and death? Why else would you be a member of AA? The coffee's not that good. <laughs> yeah. Bill uses the Columbus and the Galileos, and I could, but you know what? You know what pissed me off when they kicked Pluto out of the Pluto, out of the Planet Club? Well, what kind of shit was that? Right? I mean, Pluto was a damn planet all my life, right? And all of a sudden, Pluto's not a planet anymore. We don't even question it. Well, how come? Well, it's just not. You know? Don't even question that shit. Yeah, and then I think you got let back in the club. I think it's a dwarf or something. Are you allowed to say dwarf? Mm-hmm. Mm. A little planet. <laughs> I, think he's, I think Pluto's back in. I'm not sure. I think so. I think they made a new class for Pluto. You know? But they're constantly changing. I mean, science is only as good as the information they had a minute ago. Right? And that's, I mean, we're going through that age right now, right? We're going through an age right now where we're trusting science. And it's constantly changing. And it's creating controversy. Right? Science is only as good as the information that we have at this point. Yeah. Two minutes, the science that we believed in a minute ago won't be true, and a new truth will, will surface. I mean, it's just the way it is. But man, we got plenty of proof in this room right here for you to be willing to believe that there's a power greater than If you haven't heard this, that's why you need to go to, if you're new, you need to go to speaker meetings need to hear what these guys and gals have been through and what they recovered from as a result of just being willing to believe, making a decision, taking some action, and getting some results. I used to... What, how many times have you heard you just have to have faith? Right? You just have to have faith. The book says, no, you don't. No, you don't. You just have to be willing. You just have to be... You don't have to have any faith at all. We'll give you the faith. If you follow the precise, specific, clear-cut directions exactly the way they're laid out in this book, you will, you will acquire faith. God will enter your heart as the book promises. The great fact is just this and nothing less. We've had deep and effective spiritual experiences. Central fact of a lot of the people in this room today is that God has entered their hearts, living in a way which is indeed miraculous and commencing to do for them what they couldn't do for themselves, and that stays stopped. That stays stop. That's the solution we have to offer. You just have to be willing to trust. Faithful is after that. That's new information for me. When Bill, when Bill writes that faith is after the fact information, not upfront information. 
You just have to make a decision, take the action, do the work. And God will show up. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. But you got to, you can't, this is, you know, this, I, I've heard this from a podium. Take what you want and leave the rest. Bullshit. That's absolute bullshit. This is not a buffet. Right? You want what they have, you got to do what they do. Or do what they did. The, the, the language of the book, precisely, specifically, exactly, clear cut. You might get something that resembles recovery or sober. I like to call it sobriety. You know? You'll get something that looks so it'll, it'll be like something that looks dry. Right? You'll, get a, you'll get an applause when you, you know, wreck a car on the way over here or hit somebody or you know, break a bunch of laws and come in here and share about it and say, but I didn't drink. And everybody, oh, yay. You know? Good job. Good job. Yeah. Yeah. You've seen them. You've seen them walking around, right? How you doing? Hanging in there. Mm-hmm. Hanging in there, man. Yeah, got one more three meetings today. Called my sponsor four times. Yeah. I got another three or four hours. I'll have another twenty-four. Yeah. Got that wrinkled, wrinkled-ass forehead, right? Does anybody that's recovered in here remember when their forehead unwrinkled? Do you remember when that happened? You remember when that relief came when you went, oh, and you just realized you don't even know. After a while, you realize. Damn, my forehead's unwrinkled, you know? You can see it in people. Like, like Bill said, he saw it in Ebby's eyes. You know? He saw that he was more than inwardly reorganized. His roots grafts a new soil. Right? He was planted somewhere else, man. You know, he was planted somewhere else. Bill saw it. He saw the forehead's not wrinkled in Ebby. What's up? <laughs> Ebby, how you doing? He wasn't hanging in there. You know? I don't want hanging in there. I want recovered. I want the unwrinkled forehead. I want that version of recovery. No matter what's going on the outside, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'll be okay. That's the kind of recovery I want. I don't want the outside dictating what the hell's going on on my insides anymore. I don't want the outside running my freaking life anymore. I want the God that lives in my heart running my life, controlling my life. And that, I mean, that paragraph at the end of We Agnostics, actually we're fooling ourselves for deep down in every man, woman, and child is the fundamental idea of God. It may be obscured by calamity, by pomp, by worship. It might be obscured by the voices telling me it's not true or the people I'm hanging out with tell me it's not true or the radio station that I'm listening to tell me it's not true. Right? Pomp, my ego, I can do this without it. I just, need to, I just need to put my willpower to it. Right? I just need to put my mind to it. Right? Or the worship of other things. My slips start in other areas. They start when I go on spending sprees. They start when I go on sex sprees. They start when I go to a porn site. That's when my slips start. Right? They end up with a drink. But they start somewhere else, man. I'm medicating in all different ways, right? For faith in a higher power, in some form or another, is there. For in ourselves, and for the faith in a power greater than ourselves, and the miraculous demonstration of that power in human lives are facts as old as mine itself. We saw that finally saw that faith in some kind of God was part of our makeup, just as much as a feeling for a friend. Sometimes we had to search fearlessly, but He was there. 
He was as much a fact as we were. We found the great reality deep down within us in the last analysis. It is only there where you may be found. That's new information right there for me. That I can stop looking. Right? I've been running from church to church, place to place. This Catholic religion, Protestant, non-denominational, yoga, Reiki, right? acupuncture. Right? I'm trying everything to fix what's going on, on the outside. I'm trying, still looking outside to fix the outside. And Bill says, you know what? Stop looking. You found them deep down within every one of us. And I think if we really analyze ourselves, we realize that, right? Call it the soul. Ben, ben T. <laughs> uh, says that deep down within every one of us, he called it the soul. The part of us that knows that it knows that it knows. You know, no matter what we're saying or no matter how we appear to be on the outside, there's a part of us deep down inside that knows the truth. Call that God. Conscience. Unless you're a sociopath, you've got a conscience. I've been drinking away my conscience. I've been covering my conscience by medicating. My former sponsor, Gary, who I miss deeply, used to always say that alcohol would give me permission and then absolution later. Yeah. And that was the truth. I could beat the conscience by medicating. Drink to oblivion. Call it common sense. Just knowing right from wrong. I think, you know, I've got a couple of grandkids. I think I see in them that they inherently know right from wrong. They don't even have to be taught usually what they know. I see my grandson walk out of that bedroom with that look on his face. I know he just did something crazy in there, you know. And he knows whatever he did in there was wrong, right? Nobody had to tell him that was wrong. He inherently knew it. That's God. And this program tells me that I have everything I need when I get here. Now it becomes a program of subtraction. I already have God. God is just blocked. I just got all this crap on top of the sun. There's no room. No sunlight can shine. Because I'm caught up. I'm caught up in losing the house. I'm caught up in this current divorce. You know, I'm caught up in trying to save my job. I'm caught up in the court date that's coming up. I'm, Bill talks about spiritual sickness now. Our, our, this conversation is going to switch now. Now it, it becomes about behavior. Right? We've been talking physical and mental all the way up to this point. Now it becomes about behavior. Where is my behavior putting me in conflict. What is causing the conflict within? I've got to eliminate the conflict or I'm not going to feel the presence of God. Right? We, we can't feel anger in God at the same time. I can't feel resentment in God at the same time. I can't be scared to death and feel God's presence at the same time. I can't feel guilt, remorse, and shame for my actions and feel God's presence at the same time. I need to start peeling the onion, man. You know, I need to start removing the things that are blocking me from the sunlight of the Spirit. I need to get this stuff out of the way. And that becomes what the rest of this program is about. Yeah. And, it, and it lands us knowing how to find God, the formula, and where we're going to find God, 
Now it's time to make a decision. You know, are we sold on those three pertinent ideas? Are we sold on the first? Are we convinced that the first two steps are a requirement for recovery? And am I ready to make a decision to turn my will and my life over to the care of God? Yeah. All right. Very simply, am I ready to turn my thinking and my actions over to the care of God? You know, every action born in thought. My whole life is the sum total of all the actions I've taken. Every action born in thought. If I could change my thinking, my actions would change that. Would, therefore, would change my life. Right? Here's the problem with Pat, though. Mm-hmm. Pat's thoughts always turn to an emotion before they turn to an action, which is a problem. Mm-hmm. Because my emotions lie. My emotions are based on what I think you said or how you, I think you said it or what I think you meant when you said it or how I took what you said or my perception of what you said. And then it turns into an action. So my thinking turns to an emotion, which is a lie, and that guides my actions. I need guidance. <laughs> I need guidance, right? I need, I need a filter. I need a buffer between my thoughts and my actions, right? And in the 10-step, we're going to talk about a pause, right? <laughs> Where God enters, you know what I mean? Like, that's, in the 10-step, we talk about pause. Well, when we pause, God enters, yeah. And that's what I need to learn. I need to learn. I need that buffer. And I, I, right now, I don't have God in my life. And, and by the way, the third step is a decision. That's all it is, is a decision to go on with the rest of the steps. But it's, but it's critical. It's a commitment. It's a commitment. The, the steps, if there's an inconsistency, in my opinion, in the book, the steps kind of sound like a suggestion, don't they? Like these are the steps we suggest, right? And we know if, if, we, if we get involved in our history at all, that that was a concession on Bill Works, Wilson's part. You know, he conceded that to the fellowship. Bill's original version of the steps had musts and have-tos, you know, that kind of stuff in there. There was no suggestion. There was no word suggestion in the steps. That was a trade-off between Bill and the fellowship so that he could get control of the rest of the book. Because <laughs> right after those suggestions, it says the first requirement. <laughs> right? right after that set of suggestions, the first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be, a, hardly be successful. That any life that I'm running, that this brain is thinking and running, will not be a success. Because, because why? Because on that basis, we're always in collision with somebody or something even if our motives are good, which they're not normally. Right? Normally, there's something in it for me. Even when I'm doing something nice, I'm expecting something in return. Yeah. But this is the first time that Bill brings up this self-will conversation, right? This gift that we get, right? He talks about the... Uh, Basic instincts of life, the three basic instincts, God-given and good, that uh, make up self-will, right? This, this social instinct, the security instinct, and the sex instinct, right? Uh, all necessary for our survival. Right? 
and good. And, and humans have this gift of self-will that we get to choose how we use our will. You know, we get to control. Most animals are, are instinctually guided, right? Most of nature is guided by instinct, or if you will, God-directed, right? God-directed, right? You don't see a lion's arguing about where they're going to live, right? It's like predetermined, right? It's instinctual. There's a cave. We're moving in, right? That's it. No discussion. It's not big enough. It's, you know, I don't like the view. You know, there's nothing going on like that. You know what I mean? Too expensive. You know? no, no conversation whatsoever, right? They don't argue about who's going out and getting food. It's predetermined. I kind of pick the lions because the female goes hunting, right? I think that's kind of cool, you know? But there's no, no discussion on who's going to go out and hunt and bring the food back to the dead. Predetermined. There's no argument about sex, right? The female throws a scent up. The male comes running, wham, bam, you know, over, right? There's no, I'm not in the mood, you know, not tonight, you know, all predetermined, right? Where humans have this gift where we get to choose when we do it how we do it, and how much we do it in all three areas. Right? And there lies an issue. <laughs> There's where Bill changes the conversation and goes from mental and physical to behavioral. That it's my behavior. It's my self-will, Bill calls us, extreme examples of self-will run riot. Extreme examples. And, then, and I like what he says after that, but we usually don't think so. We usually don't think so. Right? We don't see it in ourselves. That, we are, that our real problem, what's really killing us, is that we're selfish and we're self-centered. And we're driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-pity, and self-delusion. Which puts us in conflict with other people. And causes pain and suffering for those people. And they retaliate, causing pain and suffering for us. But we blame them. And that puts us in conflict with the world. And the conflict within me tells me, you need a drink. You need to medicate. I don't like the feeling. I don't do well in conflict. I still don't, by the way. I don't do well in conflict. The, the miracle from, in my life is that I have another option <laughs> other than drugs or alcohol. Yeah. I have another go-to. And that go-to can be me and God in prayer and meditation. That go-to can be me and you in a conversation at a meeting. That go-to can be me calling my sponsee to see how they're doing, therefore getting out of myself and my conflict. And my go-to can be me calling my sponsor and getting honest with him and saying, I'm in conflict. God works a lot of ways in my life. I have at least those four options in my life. Am I going to go to the drugs or alcohol? Am I going to, what does Carl Young say? Am I going to go to the spirits or am I going to go to the spirit? You know, where, where am I going to go? I love that letter he sends to Bill where, you know, the word for the solution is the same as the word for the problem. You know, you stand at those turning points. We're going to stand at those turning points the rest of my life. I still stand at those turning points. I've been around a while. I still stand at those turning points. There's always this spiritual warfare going on, you know, where I have to turn. Am I going to turn toward the light or am I going to turn toward the darkness? Am I going to put myself in conflict again? Which I do sometimes, by the way. 
The cool thing is that I realize it, and I turn myself towards the light. We have tools to deal with that now. But real quick, I want to talk about these three instincts, these three basic instincts, because I think this whole program, in, in my opinion, centers around these God-given instincts. You know? and, and he talks about the social instinct, which is made up by companionship and prestige and self-esteem and pride and personal relationships, right? This, this need to be part of something or this need to be in charge of something, this need to be liked and accepted right? Which we all have. This herd instinct, this need to come together. This is, it was for survival. If we didn't have this instinct, we wouldn't have survived. We wouldn't hunt for food. You know, we wouldn't work together. We wouldn't accomplish anything on this, on this earth if, if we didn't have this social instinct. And by the way, I thought pride was a good thing when I got here. Do you know the definition of pride that I found? An excessive view and an unjustified opinion of myself either positive or negative. Either positive or negative. That's been my whole life. I either in my mind think I'm better than you, and therefore I should have your position. (laughs) I should be doing what you... I should be making the money you're... I should be in charge of this company because I know more than you. I'm better than you. Or I'm a piece of shit. I don't even deserve to be on this planet. And I can go both ways. I can go both ways. Why can't I look like that guy? You know, why can't I be that height? Why do I have to be short? Why do I have to be this skinny, scrawny little kid? Why can't I be the football player? Why do I have to be, you know what I mean? This always comparing myself to somebody else's, this negative opinion, this internal dialogue that says you don't belong here. You know, you're not part of. You should just kill yourself. And I had those thoughts early in my, in my childhood. You know, I don't want to be here. Hence the conversation we started with at the meeting, right? <laughs> I'm not afraid of death. I'm afraid of life. Right? But as soon as we demand more than our share of recognition, we put ourselves in conflict, right? We start lying. We create, I like Pastor uh, Dave talks about creating this fake self. I create this fake alter ego, Right? On the outside, this is who I am, and I'm lying about who I am because I just want you to like and accept me. You know, I'll be whatever you want. I'll be whoever you want. I'll do whatever you want. Just like and accept me. Do you know when I found acceptance in my life? When I found you guys out there. First time in my life I felt part of something. And it was in a bottle. And then it was in a flowery form. <laughs> <laughs> and then it was in a pill <laughs> and then a powder <laughs> but I felt liked and accepted there I felt like I was somebody there I've always been concerned with where my kids found acceptance and I'll say this over and over again uh, even in the program you are who you hang out with you are who you hang out with you are what you read you are what you watch you are what you listen to you become that. If you're hanging out with the predators and the slippers in this program, you will become that. You hang out with the don't drink and go to meetings people, you'll become a don't drink and go to meeting. You hang out with the people that are seeking this solution, you'll find the solution. You'll become who you hang out with in this program. We assimilate. We're assimilators. Right? But somebody has to be in charge and somebody has to follow, right? I mean, that's just the, the nature of things. 
But as soon as I demand, I've lied about concerts I've been to for no reason. I lied about seeing Eric Clapton for years, right? Because somebody said they saw Eric Clapton. I said, me too, you know? And they said, really, when did you see him? And I had this whole story, right? Uh, I had to make up some shit, but, you know, it was, it was a good story. You know, I saw him at Three River Stadium in Pittsburgh. What year? 1973. You know what? I, I told you what he was wearing, you know, and who he was with. And it just, I had this whole story. I told that story so many times, I believed it, right? I think I've lied in sobriety about that, you know? I mean, I've been in Starbucks. Somebody said they saw Pink Floyd. Me too, you know? I just want to be part of the conversation, you know what I mean? So I'll lie. I'll do whatever you want. To, I'll, I'll be whoever you want. I'll be this fake self. This first date self. Right? <laughs> right? The first date part. Right? Not, it has nothing to do with who I really am. Right? But I'm here and this is who I want you to think I am. Right? And then what do I do? I put myself and people find out the truth. Right? I'm not getting the recognition I want so I lie more. I'm not getting the position at work so I lie more. I start telling lies about you so I can get your position. You know? And I put myself in conflict with everybody and everything. And the same thing with the security instinct. Necessary for our survival, right? The material, emotional security, right? The need for possessions. The need for shelter, right? It's a basic instinct of life. It's God-given. We need to find shelter. We need to build shelter. In this world, we need the material to survive. Right? Without, a, without a vehicle, it's hard to survive, Right? So we work for them. We get them. We do what it takes. We sacrifice. We save money so that we can buy the car, so we can buy the house. Right? No sooner we buy the car or the house, somebody else got a better car or house. And you're not, you don't like your car or your house anymore. Right? So you want more. Right? I remember buying my... I always tell this story because I think it's hilarious. You know, I bought my first new car in 1988. It was a fully loaded Ford Tempo. Right, right, right. The, the salesman at, at Ford watched me come in the park, and he goes, "You know that tempo we can't get rid of on the back lot? This guy's leaving with it." You know, <laughs> and I drove out of there, and I was in my freaking glory, in my glory. Power windows, power seat, tilt wheel, air condition. I mean, this thing was loaded. I was playing with the windows and the seats. Can't wait to show my buddies this car. I get to North Lauderdale. Mitch is there. I said, Mitch, look at this. He said, who the fuck buys a fully loaded Tempo? You know? I like that car for 30 minutes. 30 minutes. I get rid of it. I get rid of it. If they don't like it, I don't like it. You hear me? I need you to like it. Crazy. Saved for years to buy a house. Bought a house in Coral Springs. My brother bought a house up the street. His freaking house had vaulted ceilings. You know? I was so happy with my house. I can't believe I'm a homeowner. Holy shit, this is unbelievable. Go over to my brother's and go, damn it. This is what I need. My house is shit. I need vaulted ceilings. We suffer from instincts on steroids. Never enough. Never enough. It's never enough. Because we're trying to fix the inside with the outside. All my life, I thought if I could just get the right car or the right house, which requires the right job, then I'd be able to satisfy the sex instinct. 
<laughs> right? It was all about that sex instinct that we're going to talk about. Probably at depth moving forward, right? The driving force in my life, right? From 13 years old. Matter of fact, right about 13, I said, church ain't for me. <laughs> this ain't going to happen. I'm either going to hell or blind, one or the other, you know? I got to get out of here, you know? And all I could think about from that day on at 13 years old was, you need a job and a car so that you can get laid. <laughs> that was it. That was my whole goal in life. That, I, you know, I'm not lying. That was it. I need to get the right job so I get the right car. We'll get the right house. I'll get the right girl. I'll be happy for the rest of my life. The outside is going to fix what's going on inside. Because I've been tormented from a young age. And I felt good when I was in that car. And I felt good when I was with that girl. That was my medication. And as soon as something happened to the car or something happened to the girl, I was suicidal. Suicidal. I mean, literally. If, if a girl broke up with me, I was suicidal. I'm going to be alone the rest of my life. I'm never going to have a relationship. Right? And that's the kind of dialogue that goes through this head. My sons, they broke up with their girlfriends. How are you doing, son? He goes, fine, why? You know, like, oh, I know, I heard, you know, I heard you, you know, you're not seeing so-and-so. And like, yeah, so what? You know, they're like, moving on, you know. That's just the way life is, Dad, you know. Shit, healthy. What the hell? Where the hell did you come from, right? The sex instinct, a driving force, a driving force in my life. Never enough. Never enough. And the same thing, one of the most, you know, God makes it pleasurable so that we will do it, so we will procreate, right? God-given, good, but there's never enough. No matter how much I was getting, I needed more. So I find myself doing it with the wrong people in the wrong place, wrong time. I'm a cheater. I'm a cheater because I'm a pleasure seeker. Anything that will take me out of myself. Anything will take me out of the way I feel. And I'm sure I loved her and she was the only one in my life for a while, but then it's kind of like a car. You know, it gets dented, you know, or a door dinged, you know, or you find out she snores. I didn't know you snored like that. Jesus, you know, probably should have hung out with you for a while before we moved in, you know. God, I didn't know you had those habits. Holy shit, you know. Story of my life. Instincts on steroids. Instincts on steroids. Pleasure seekers at any cost, no matter who we hurt. Don't worry about it. Alcohol will give me permission, and it will give me absolution later. Any cost. I just need to feel good. There is the conflict. There is the conflict. God intended these instinctual drives to be here, and I took them here. Right? How do I reel those in? That's what this program is about. Bring real, in my mind, that's what this program... This program, everything here, I believe, leads to 6 and 7, and everything is going to lead back to 6 and 7. And what's 6 and 7? How do I eliminate the conflict in my life? How do I reel in these instinctual drives to where God intended them to be in the first place so that I'm not in conflict spiritually, and I'm not in conflict mentally, and I'm not in conflict with you physically? That's what the rest is. The conversation is going to shift next week. The conversation is going to shift to internal. Bill calls it spiritual. A spiritual malady. Mark Euston called it an internal condition. 
<laughs> I love that line. Right? The doctor called it restless, irritable, and discontent. It's my behavior that's creating conflict, which is creating an internal condition that prevents me from staying stopped. And that's what I need to eliminate. That's when we start peeling the onion, when we start taking some action. Thanks for letting me be here tonight. I appreciate it. <laughs> Please join me in thanking Pat one more time. I'd like to invite James, our secretary, to the stage. James. Hi, my name is James, and I'm your recovered alcoholic secretary. In keeping with the seven tradition, which states that every group shall be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions, the baskets are now going around. Um, I've asked Megan to read the recovered statement. We read this notice to explain why people... She's right there. Oh, wow. It's not all about you, Megan. <laughs> why many people in this group identified as recovered rather than recovering, and what exactly that means. Please welcome up, Megan. <laughs> Hi everyone, Megan Alcoholic Recovered, we are not cured of alcoholism Recovered, but not cured that, re that presents a conflict to some alcoholics If we were cured, we would be able to drink responsibly No, we are not cured The allergic reaction to alcohol will remain with us for our lifetime But we have been restored to sanity That was the problem the main problem of the alcoholic sinner is in, the, in his mind rather than in the body. We are now saying where alcohol is concerned. Consequently, we have recovered. Of alcoholics who came to AA and really tried, 50% got sober at once and remained that way. 25% sobered up after some relapses, and among the remainder, those who stayed with AA showed improvement. What we've seen, felt, come to believe, and experience is that God has not changed over time, and neither should the sacred approach back to his loving arms. The statistics above suggest a 75% success rate. Can I get a uh, show of hands of recovered alcoholics here tonight? Oh, great. There's so many. Um, is there anyone that needs a sponsor? Please raise your hand. Don't worry, I won't make you stand up like other secretaries. Um, and do we have anybody celebrating a year or more? One of our home group members, Kyle, has two years. Oh, we have announcements. <laughs> um, the Broward County Intergroup, uh, you can get your literature, medallions. They have the helpline there. We have a little announcement from them. I know you're all wondering, but they're open on Saturdays now from uh, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., just in case you need a medallion. Um, there are volunteer opportunities. If you want some information on that, you can see Mike Chase after the meeting. And the Broward County Institution Committee. Do we have anybody from BCIC here tonight? No? Okay. Well, they meet at the 12-step house uh, second Saturday at noon, I believe. 10 a.m. Thank you. It's the flagpole. I apologize. Uh, and the 45th Broward County Intergroup Picnic is Sunday, October 24th from 11 to 4. If you need a flyer, we have some in the back. Uh, please join us Monday nights, the Big Book study meeting where the Big Book comes alive, fellowships at 6.30. We also have CDs, mugs, large print Big Books, little red books, and Big Book dictionaries for sale in the back. 
Um, and we meet here every Thursday starting at 7.15. We'll see you next week. Thank you, James. We have tonight's session and all the past speaker podcasts online for free at alcoholicsandgod.org. I'd like to invite everybody once again to our Monday night big book study. And also uh, next week, we have a special guest. October 14th, Pat's going to be out of town. We have Robert M. from Stuart F. L. Florida. Stuart. Um, I don't know why I said it like that. Excuse me. Uh, Those who wish to thank the speaker, please line up down the center aisle. Let us close with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, Father, Lord in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And use not temptation, but deliver us from evil. It doesn't matter
Chase, here's that song you've been asking me for for a million years. I finally pulled it out the pulled it out the corners of my mind, and um, here you go. Green now, grow 
growing vines. They twist and turn each way. Flowers blooming all the time. That's at my door. song is god bless i love you mike chase bye
Minnesota. Thank you very much.